As Peter traveled about the country, he went to visit the Lord's people who lived in Lydda. There he found a man named Aeneas, who was paralyzed and had been bedridden for eight years. Aeneas, Peter said to him, Jesus Christ heals you. Get up and roll up your mat. Immediately Aeneas got up. All those who lived in Lydda and Sharon saw him and turned to the Lord. In Joppa, there was a disciple named Tabitha. In Greek, her name is Dorcas. She was always doing good and helping the poor. About that time, she became sick and died, and her body was washed and placed in an upstairs room. Lydda was near Joppa, so when the disciples heard that Peter was in Lydda, they sent two men to him and urged him, Please, come at once. Peter went with them, and when he arrived, he was taken upstairs to the room. All the widows stood around him, crying and showing him the robes and other clothing that Dorcas had made while she was still with them. Peter sent them all out of the room. Then he got down on his knees and prayed. Turning toward the dead woman, he said, Tabitha, get up. She opened her eyes, and seeing Peter, she sat up. He took her by the hand and helped her to her feet. Then he called for the believers, especially the widows, and presented her to them alive. This became known all over Joppa, and many people believed in the Lord. Peter stayed in Joppa for some time with the tanner named Simon. Thanks, guys. Um, There's something quite obvious about this week's text. Um, I just got back. Last night from D.C. was there were a group of leaders that were together uh, la- launching a national initiative. I'll talk about it later called Reset. Uh, but one of the cool things about being there just with friends from around the country is uh, two people that I know and love and have for a long time. Dave Lubin. How many of you know him? So, so you know, he used to lead worship here. I've known him for 15 years. And uh, the conference ended with a kickoff concert on the National Mall in the shadow of the Washington Monument. And Dave Lubin, my good buddy, 20 plus, or 20 years or so, uh, was leading worship. And I thought, wow, what what you're doing, God, is amazing. And and then Nick Hall is the main organizer and was the main speaker. And Nick, I've known since he was in high school. Nick traveled with me uh, to to India and got his first chance to preach the gospel in a foreign country on a trip that I was able to lead. And Nick traveled with me early on while I was still going to college, sensing this call on his life to evangelism, to mobilizing the church. And so here I am looking at Nick. He's in his early 30s, leading a national movement at 32. And it made me realize God can use ordinary people, and God loves to use ordinary people to do amazing things. And that's what we see in the text this morning. Now, as we look at the end of chapter 9, I want to give you a little bit of a, like a broader picture The end of 9 is about two people being healed, but the end of chapter 9 is not about the end of chapter 9. It's about chapter 10. We'll get to that next week. But what Luke is doing is he's setting up something huge. In Acts 10, Peter is going to be used by God to preach the gospel through miraculous means to some people who are not Jewish at all. Remember, at the beginning of Acts, Jesus told his followers, Acts 1.8, when you receive power, the Spirit will come upon you, and you will be my witnesses. You'll, you'll speak my message. Where? Jerusalem. They've already done that, first few chapters. Judea. It's been happening the last few chapters. Samaria. It happened through Philip. And now to the ends of the earth. So the turning point for Acts is the gospel moving beyond one small group and one small place to the ends of the earth. And so what, what Luke gives us is the setup of the kind of person that God's going to use. And it happens to be Peter. Peter's the first one to share the good news beyond the borders of Israel, so to speak. But before that, he gives us 
two healings. Now, what's the setup? Look at chapter 9, verse 32. As Peter traveled about the country, he went to visit the Lord's people. The Hagioi in Greek. Hagioi or Hagios is holy. You could say literally the holy people. Because God called out people. When you choose to follow Jesus, yes, you have issues. I have issues. But in God's sight, you are Hagioi. You are holy. You're set apart for God. You're actually transformed. And God sees you as not an enemy, but a child. And so we don't know how the gospel got to these cities. Luke doesn't tell us. But the gospel has been spreading through multiple people. And now there are holy ones. There are Jesus followers. You are there in the city. And so from day one, the church was not just about proclaiming a message and saying, see you in heaven. The church has always been about the people getting together and growing together. And so Peter is doing what is still done today, traveling around church to church. We're a family. And, and the Jesus Church family, Sunset and Westside and Bridgetown, we're just part of the bigger family, Colossae and, and Resound and, and Calvary Chapel and Sunrise. and all. We're a part of the holy people in the city. And so you see that he's traveling around. They lived in a city called Lydda. And then we get to healings. Now, the main point is that the gospel is going to go forward. But why does Luke give us two healings? Is he just like wasting space? No, this is hugely significant. I want to think about that as we set ourselves up to hear about how the gospel spread next week. Why two healings? Now, there there are things in common here. And if you read it, we won't go through word for word again. But if you were just to study it, some things happen in pairs. Like there are two people suffering, right? One's a cripple, one has died. Uh, There are two cities. There's Lydda, which is 25 miles northwest of Jerusalem. So the gospel is pushing out. And then Joppa, which is another 10 miles further north on the same road. So so Luke is setting it up. The gospel is moving city to city. So you've got two cities and two people suffering. You have two signs of salvation. What do I mean by that? Just look at the words that Peter used. Look at verse 34. Aeneas, Peter said to him, Jesus Christ heals you. Get up. All right, now jump down to the middle of verse 40. Turning towards the dead woman, he said, Tabitha, get up. Same exact word in the original language. And that same word, get up, means resurrection. Two stories of resurrection. Jesus experienced resurrection life. And now Jesus is giving resurrection, so to speak, to two people. So two examples of salvation, two examples of Jesus's ministry, both stories parallel an earlier encounter by Jesus himself. Verse 34, Aeneas Peter said to him, Jesus Christ heals you. Get up and roll your mat. If you look back to Luke 5, we won't do it. Luke writes a gospel about Jesus called Luke, then Acts. And he's tying this thread together. Two means something. So get up and walk. That's exactly what Jesus says to the crippled man. Stand up, take up your mat and walk in Luke 5. Verse 40, turning towards the dead woman, he said, Tabitha, get up. That's exactly what Jesus does in Luke 8. Jairus' daughter had died. He goes into the room and Peter is simply emulating what Jesus already did. So the two examples are driving us 
so somewhere. And, and part of it is to propel that all this Jesus stuff in the Gospel of Luke is now happening. Don't forget when we read Acts, because we're going slowly, Acts 1.1 sets the tone. He says, I'm writing you an account of what Jesus began to do and teach. Acts is just a continuation. Gospel of Luke, what he did, what he taught. Acts is to show us what he continues to do. And now Jesus has ascended, but the teaching goes on. The gospel goes on. Healing goes on. So the gospel is about to spread further. So when you think about healing, because I know for some of us, we're a mixed bag here. Some of us, I say healing, and you're like, yes, God's alive. And some of you, I say healing, you're like, oh, that just sounds like Christianity gone weird. I'm not sure about, I know Jesus saves people, but is he really interested in Tabitha situations, Aeneas situations? Is is Jesus really, this is a pre-scientific era. They don't have St. Vincent's. They don't have health care. And so I know Jesus did that stuff, but he doesn't need to do that anymore because he uses now technology to, to heal people. We're, we're, we're all over the place, and that's okay. I'm not telling, what, telling you what you need to believe concerning healing, but I want us to get an insight of what Luke's trying to do because it's actually specific. Now, the term that we've talked about in Acts is, Acts is both descriptive and prescriptive. So the question is, is this text, end of chapter 9, is it descriptive? What do I mean by that? Sometimes Acts is just telling us what happened. I'll give an example. Acts 2, the Spirit comes on the believers like Jesus said. And something happened that's really interesting. There's the blowing of a rushing wind, and there's signs, tongues of fire, it looks like, on the tops of the heads of 120 people. Is that descriptive, what happened, or prescriptive? When we receive the Spirit... Do we, now, the air conditioning blows here. We could do a rushing wind right now. Some of you are feeling you're like, I, can, I, I, I could command with my app a rushing wind, okay? I could actually control the AC from my phone. I love this world. Um, but, or is it prescriptive? Is, is it describing what happened to them, or is it telling us what should happen to us? Now, there are ways to, it's not just subjective. I don't just make it up. There are ways to figure it out. One of the ways is to look for repetitive accounts. So do you see tongues of fire and the blowing of a rushing wind again? You don't. One indicator that if, if God is saying something is to happen often, what he does is he shows it often, right? So there, I would say Acts is descriptive. I'm not looking for a tongue of fire. I'm not looking for a rushing wind. But it also does describe What happens when the Spirit comes? When the Spirit comes, you will know it. That's what we can say. So I should be looking for the evidences of the Spirit coming. It may not be a tongue of fire. It may not be a rushing wind. But if I am emotionally caught up in it, if I sense God's presence, I shouldn't be surprised. They did. We can. Does that make sense? Descriptive. So is this descriptive or prescriptive? Now, when you look at healing in the book of Acts, I want to make the case this morning, and I'm very convinced of this, that Acts and the healing touch of Jesus is prescriptive. That it wasn't designed, Acts is not designed to tell us what Jesus did long ago. It's meant to remind us of what God always wants to do. Two reasons, I think this way. For one, you see it in Luke and in Acts. 
what Jesus did in Luke is now happening without Jesus physically present in Acts. But it's happening, did you notice, in the name of Jesus? Jesus Christ heals you. In the name of Jesus, he pray, Peter prays to Jesus. So the work of Jesus is now happening post the resurrection and the ascension. The second reason I think this is because of the variety Luke gives us. Now let's just look at this for a second. We're going to look at both stories. I, I told you what's the same, right? But now let's look at what is different. Two encounters. Lydda is mostly a Jewish city, but Joppa has more non-Jews, more Gentiles. I think what Luke is saying is that God's reality is there for the Jews, and it's also for the non-Jews. The reason I know this is because we're about to see a non-Jew experience salvation in chapter 10. So the differences are telling me that this, this touch of Jesus is not for one group, not for one city, not for Jerusalem. It's for everywhere. Aeneas is a man. Tabitha is a woman. That's significant. God's touch is for everyone. Aeneas has been crippled for eight years. Tabitha is dead. Look at the variety. So God's touch is not just, well, God will handle my headache, but I'll go to the neurosurgeon for the real stuff. Tabitha is dead. And I think the variety, eight years. It wasn't like he had a head cold. Eight years he's crippled and God touches him. That's miraculous. Tabitha is no longer living. That is miraculous. We're not sure if Aeneas is a believer. Luke does not tell us that he's a Christian. He may have been, but he doesn't tell us. But he definitely goes to great lengths to tell us that Tabitha is a fantastic believer. So you get the healing touch of God in someone who could be not in the faith or new to faith. And then the most dedicated woman who's doing glorious work for the people. She loves the poor. She loves the broken. She's generous. She's a leader. And notice men and women. I love the fact he doesn't tell us what Aeneas is doing, but he says that here is a woman who is central to the move of God. Do you notice the variety? I think we're getting that for a reason. Finally, Aeneas is poor because if you're crippled, there is no health care. There is no systematic help. You are poor. But Tabitha, also called Dorcas, because Tabitha is the, her Aramaic name, the common name, but Luke's writing to people all over the world and they may not know Aramaic. So Dorcas and Tabitha both mean gazelle. She's speedy. She's fast. She's quick. Quick to serve, quick to help. And both names mean the same thing. And so, so she's rich. The fact that she is making clothes is like first century tagline. She's got cash and she's got time, which means she's probably a person. Could be that the church met in her house. We don't know. But rich and poor, God touches them both. So I think that Luke is describing in all sorts of people, in all sorts of places, in all sorts of ways, that, that Jesus is going to bring salvation wherever the good news goes forward. Now, I said the word salvation, and I can tell you what many of you thought. Salvation means I'm no longer a sinner, but I've been rescued from sin and given eternal life. But that's how we view salvation. Unfortunately, Luke, when he uses the word and the New Testament writers, it's much broader than sin. Some of the same root words for saving of sin are used for healing of bodies. Salvation in the Bible 
is more holistic. It's broader. It's bigger. The well is deeper than what you and we've pegged it to one thing. I got saved when I was. And that's very true. I'm not, I'm not believing. I'm not undermining it. As a matter of fact, most of my calling in life is to help people realize without that step, none of the steps make sense. You must be born anew, Jesus said. You've got to enter the kingdom. You're not in the kingdom. You've got to come in. But that is just one iota of the huge thing called salvation. So what is salvation? You may want to write this down. It's kind of long, but it's my best stab at it. Um, salvation is about the forgiveness of sins. Yeah. It's about adoption into God's family. To be saved is to be brought into a family. It's about the empowering presence of the Spirit. To be saved is to receive the Spirit of God so that the life I live is not my life. It is the Spirit of God now living in and through me. It's about joining the mission uh, of Jesus in the world. To be saved is to be brought into a family who is now living a new way, with a new direction, a new purpose, a new goal. And it is about experiencing wholeness in the here and now. So, I was saved when I was seven. I am being saved right now. And in the future, I will be saved. All of those are true. So I am in the family of God. I am growing in the family of God. And I will join the eternal family of God. When I am 10,000 years old, I will be alive. I'll probably look better than I look right now. All of those are true. So salvation is wider. Now, why is this important? Because we live in a broken world, don't we? We're reading about two healing stories. We're going to read about a miraculous salvation story next year. But why why is this so important? Because we live in a broken world. So brokenness shows up in all sorts of ways. Brokenness shows up in injustice. I was at the uh, Martin Luther King Memorial. That's the first time I'd seen it. And I was really blown away. I happened to, on the flight back last night, catch... um, a CNN special on the 60s, and they had this, this program. I don't agree with all of it, and some of it's a little over the top, but they had this thing on the civil rights movement in the 60s, and I spent an hour watching about the movement of Martin Luther King Jr. and the injustice in our country. Now I'm not talking about someone else. I'm talking about here. And how God used this man to, to preach the good news of justice in Jesus' name. And not, I'm not trying to politicize anything. I'm simply saying... And I got a chance to see in the memorial that we remember that God does use ordinary people, an ordinary preacher from the South to do great things in his name because salvation isn't just about you and I having sins removed and being filled with the Spirit. It's about God's kingdom coming on earth as it is in heaven. And that doesn't mean that that the earth right now is going to look like heaven where there is no sin, there is no injustice. But Jesus came preaching the kingdom of God, the rule of God, the domain of God, the working of God, and it happens in part right now. To give you an unnecessary theological term, it's called inaugurated eschatology. When Jesus came, he brought the kingdom of God here. Healing, wholeness, I'm going somewhere with this, is part of of the kingdom of God. When he made the earth, Genesis 1, it is good. Genesis 2, it is good. It's all good. Genesis 3, sin breaks everything. But God, who has no sin, when he comes, with him comes wholeness. 
So to be with God is to be made whole. And so Jesus wants to come, and my only point this morning is he wants to come to bring wholeness to all of life. Not just deal with my sin and my rebellion, but to deal with all of life. And I think that's why we get before this miraculous move of the gospel in in Acts 10. I think Luke pauses for a second and gives us Acts 9. So just, and this may be simple for some, but it may not. It may be new. When Jesus heals in the gospels, it is not to prove that he's God. Well, you know, just look at the healings. Look at the healings. Uh, The healings prove that Jesus is the son of God. Here's the problem. God used Moses for healings. God used Elijah for healings. God used Elisha for healings. So are they God? Oh, and then read the New Testament. God uses Peter and people are healed. God uses Philip and people are healed. God uses Ananias, who's a no-name, and Saul is healed. So healing isn't proof that Jesus is the Son of God. It's proof that the kingdom of God has come. It's proof that wholeness here is possible. So God wants to bring his presence, which is whole. It's never incomplete. It's always perfect. Where God is, perfection comes. So we shouldn't be surprised when we get glimpses. It's inaugurated. And and again, I was just in D.C. So the president wins an election in November, but takes office fully in January. So what do we mean? The kingdom of God is coming in stages. Jesus came and won the election, so to speak. On the cross and in the resurrection, he gives life to all who will follow him. And so he's the Lord. At the end of election day, when they tally the votes, the new president is a new president. Fact. But there is this period of time where there's a transition happening. And then in January, it fully happens. So we're living in the time between the times. Jesus has come. And he's won a real victory that's complete. Everything you need is possible is because Jesus already paid the price, rose again, he's alive. And he will come again, and that's where the full reign comes. Where he rules and reigns, and there's a new heavens, and there's a new earth, and there's a new city, and we're a new people living in a resurrected body, and there is no sin, there is no death, there is no destruction. There is God presence everywhere, in everyone, at all times, and it is a pate. It's all the food and none of the calories. It's all of the sugar and none of the buzz. It is everything. And that's where things will be made new. So we live in this time between the times. And Acts is describing, I think, the church in the time between the times. Because life in the kingdom of Jesus is about wholeness. Again, maybe this is super obvious. Forgive me. Next week will be better. But I think that this ground floor, like foundational truth, if we miss this, then we may live in a shortened version of salvation and miss some of the benefits of what God wants to do in our world right now. So we live in a broken world and God wants to bring peace and justice. We live in a world that produces more than enough food for everyone to eat to their heart's content, but people are starving. That's unjust. That's wrong. But the kingdom of God wants to bring wholeness to all sorts of injustices. Side note, that's why in our missional communities, we want to lovingly grow, not be legalistic, lovingly grow in doing Jesus stuff. Why? Because wherever I am, the kingdom of God has come near. 
Wherever you are, the kingdom of God has come near. So I should, and that's why the healing stories. When Peter goes to these cities to do regular visiting and love the people, part of the culture of Peter and the early leaders was that wherever two or three are gathered in his name, Jesus is there. So if Jesus came bringing wholeness, why should I expect any less? I think what we've done is we've segmented and said, the Jesus and the apostle stuff, that was like cool for them, but I'm not one of them. Therefore, I have no right to expect God's presence in, in amazing ways. And I would just say that seeing acts as descriptive. It happened. It shouldn't happen. I just want to suggest, and if I'm wrong, I'm willing to be rebuked. I want to suggest that, that these portions are prescriptive. That part of the kingdom life is Jesus showing up and doing things in Jesus' way. And, and, and that's what I want to make the point that Luke clearly tells us this wasn't Peter. Did you notice? Jesus Christ heals you. And so Peter is simply following in the footsteps of the master, which to me describes what life can be like for us right now. Now let's, let's get real. Uh, a couple of weeks ago, I just caught a nasty head cold. Why? Some of you have germs. I'm blaming you. I'm not blaming me. I'm blaming you. I was feeling fine. Came to church, went home sick. And, um, and so I wasn't feeling well. And I was trying to do whatever I can to do better. I, you know, I was on prescription this and this and that. And went to the doctors and they said, deal with it. And really, like, no, it's got to pass. I'm like, so I, but I trained for a long time to run a marathon. And I just wanted to do it. And up to a couple days before, I'm like, that's it. I'm toasted. I, I, can't, I can't even breathe. I can't walk up the stairs without going, because my chest was so congested. And so I could have just resigned myself to say, Lord, it wasn't your plan that I run. And it's a dumb idea anyway. Thank you for saving me. And so, but you know, I said, no, wait a minute. No, maybe this sounds selfish, so forgive my selfishness. But I was like, no, I just, it's my desire to finish this. I planned for it. I've worked hard. I paid for the stinking thing. Like, I want to do it. And so I, I, I emailed on a Wednesday morning because we had a hotel room. It was a, it was a Saturday run. I had a t- hotel room for Friday night. I had to cancel by Thursday. So I went to the, to the last minute. Why didn't I just ask earlier? But I, 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 I emailed 25 of our leaders in here that I know and said, will you please pray for me? It's Wednesday morning. I feel like trash. I want to run. I need to be healed by Thursday because I don't want to lose my hotel money. It's bad stewardship. So I, I need to cancel, right? I need to cancel by Thursday because I don't want to pay. I already paid for the marathon. I don't want to lose double money. Um, and so would you pray? I need to be made whole by Thursday so I could keep the hotel reservation and run the race. By Wednesday afternoon, I, I'm telling you, I was healed. Thank you, Beth. I was healed. Now, I still ran a stinky race, but, but, but I was made whole. And here's the one thing. That should not be surprising. That's my point. When we see Acts as merely descriptive, we are surprised, and may I say cynical, when anything that happened there happens in the here and now. And that's just one story. But I can go on and on. We, we were not fertile. We couldn't have kids. God opened up my wife's womb. We have two kids. My mom had, growing up, my mom had chronic headaches, migraines. She would have to lay in her, in her room for hours in the dark. It was so bad. 
She had chronic back pain after giving birth to us. And um, in a gathering, years later, after probably 15 years of suffering, in a gathering, people prayed. They, she'd prayed before. She'd asked before. She'd been seeking and was resigned to just pressing on. And God in his goodness healed my mom. And those migraines have never come back. The back pain has not come back. Now, so we say, well, that's just subjective. And that's blah, 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 blah. If you see acts as only descriptive, that's the logical conclusion. If we see God as the actor in acts and Jesus as his sent one, then we will see acts as sometimes descriptive. But at moments like this, I believe that healing is a prescriptive thing. It's part of the normal rhythm of life. Now, so that we get some context here, I'm going to throw one verse on the screen that gives me another reason to believe that this is true. Years later, James, a different church leader, now writing to the church in James 5, says this. I love it. Is any of you in trouble? Let them pray. Stop. What do you do when you're in trouble? You shouldn't be cowardly. You shouldn't, you shouldn't be depressed. You should just pray. Okay. Is anyone happy? Let them sing songs of praise. When God does good stuff, don't hold it in. Don't hold back. If God's been good to you when we worship, act like he's been good to you. Pretend. <laughs> or just like when you're in trouble, pray. When, when you're rejoicing, actually rejoice. Okay. Is any among you sick? Let them call on the elders of the church to pray over them and anoint them with oil. Catch, the, catch this phrase. In the name of the Lord. And that is the key. Peter in Acts, in the name of the Lord, healing comes. In the name of the Lord, this woman's brought to life again. It is not in Peter and it's not in the elders. It is in the Lord. So we see that theme. We see the Bible as a set of books that have a common theme. So I see it in the Gospels. I see it in Acts. I see it in Corinthians. I see it in James. As I see the kingdom of God and the evidence is, it leads me to believe that God is still doing this. Now, some of you are like, Jose, I already believe that this is true. Not everyone does. And so we want to lovingly teach the scriptures to help you see God's plan, not just occasionally, but I believe regularly. So, uh, verse 15, and the prayer offered in faith will make the sick person well. The Lord, not the elders, not Peter, the Lord will raise them up. And if they've sinned, they'll be forgiven. That's weird. Okay, so sick, they'll be healed. Sin, forgiven. Do you remember the whole uh, description of salvation? It is about sin, but it's about more than just sin. Salvation is a broad term. We need to see it that way. Therefore, confess your sins to each other and pray for, and catch this phrase, each other so that you may be healed. God could have raised up Tabitha without Peter. God could have healed Aeneas without Peter, but he chooses to use people. The one and other in scripture is on purpose. Jesus is always using people. The father is always using people as agents of the kingdom. We should never elevate the person. We should elevate the king. And Jesus is the king. So wherever I see signs of the kingdom, I don't say, what a great church. That church is amazing. 
That preacher's incredible. That guy is anointed. I should say, Jesus is alive. And Jesus does great things. And man, Jesus can even use that crew. It's about Jesus. It is not about the people. And that's where the text brings us. Therefore, the prayer of a righteous person is powerful and effective. So I want you to see a couple of things about healing. And then we're not just going to talk about Acts because that's one half of the story. Acts is something that we step into. We want to pray this morning because some of us have broken. But some of you are like, I got all these questions now. Let me try to answer some of them. I've tried to read your mind, okay? Three things, write them down. We want to see about healing. One, we're to pray for healing. Just see that. And he has the sick and Peter prays. Then they hear about the healing. Catch this. Joppa's 10 miles away. This afternoon, in the heat, walk 10 miles. It's a long way. They hear about Aeneas being healed, and Tabitha is dead. And they walk 10 miles to get Peter and say, Peter, you were with Jesus. We know the Jairus story. Talk about pressure. Peter, come with us. We think that this resurrected Jesus could do for us what he did for Jairus' daughter. Talk about faith. And Peter walks. I'd be scared to death. Someone dies, and and you ask me to pray for him. Man. But the prayer of a righteous person, anyone in Jesus is a righteous person. The prayer of anyone in Jesus, the prayer of any righteous person, is powerful and effective. So we are to pray for healing. Second thing, Jesus does the healing. I think I've already said that. It's in the name of the Lord. It's not in the name of people. It's not in the name of a church. And I think that's why many of us have gotten skewed towards healing is because we've seen some goofy people. Let's be real. There's some weirdos out there. There's, and something's done in the name of Jesus is slick marketing. And it's just not, it's not legit. Don't believe everything don't reject everything. That's, we got, that's the tension. I don't believe everything, but I don't reject everything. And then finally, healing is broader than the physical issues. And this is huge. That's why the James piece is about when we're together and we're asking for God's kingdom to come, sometimes it's a physical issue, but other times there are other sin issues, there are emotional issues, there are relational issues. So, In faith, I can pray for your marriage. In faith, I can pray for your parenting because the kingdom needs to come to that. In faith, I can pray for your finances because the kingdom needs to come to that. In in faith, I can pray for your decision-making because faith and Jesus are needed for that. And in faith, I can pray for your physical issues. All of them are part of the salvation story because Jesus is involved with all of our life, not just my sin. And so I'm praying as a community that will reclaim the wonderful truth that because of Jesus, and catch this, anyone can pray for anyone dealing with anything. That's the kind of community I want us to be. Anyone here can pray for anyone here about anything here because the Spirit of God now works through everyone. Differently in different people, but the elders are just one case that James gives, but there are other cases where the community is just praying for one another and the Spirit of God is at work in the community. 
we want to be a people where everyone and anyone can pray for anyone about anything. So let me just ask you, do you feel like you can pray for anyone here about anything here? If not, can I just remind you, because of King Jesus, that is true. You can be used by God to touch and pray for anyone here. And God does do his work. So to kind of wrap this up, two more disclaimers. Those are three things about healing. But two more disclaimers because I know that skepticism is real and we're not so sure. Let me say this. Healing comes at different times and in different ways. So when I say pray for healing, I am not implying that everyone is healed because that is just not the truth. So it comes at different times in a different way. So my, my mom, who's loving Jesus for decades, is not healed for 15 years. It didn't happen in the way she'd wanted. It didn't happen when she wanted, but she was healed. And since it's the Lord who heals, we shouldn't be discouraged by delays. We shouldn't be discouraged by that. It is discouraging. We prayed for kids. We didn't have kids. We prayed for kids. We didn't have kids. We prayed for kids. We didn't have kids. But we shouldn't be overly discouraged because it's Jesus who heals. Jesus knows. Jesus sees. Jesus brings healing. And so we prayed for little Jolene, who was a part of our community, and she died of cancer. But I'm not overly discouraged by that. But I know, because I know even in that, Jolene was a child of God. And healing for everyone in Scripture is temporary because they all died. Tabitha's raised to life and she dies again. Talk about a weird scenario. Double funeral. No, yeah, I'm, I'm coming to her second funeral. That's just weird. Every human healing is a temporary healing, but there is a broader healing. And so my delay now does not mean God is denying his power. It could be that his power will be best displayed in the resurrection. And I hold on to that. And so suffering here is real. But real suffering here, here should not stop me from trusting in the greatness of God and not expecting that God can break through in the here and in the now. So let's not give up till we see the answer. All right, finally, let's get to you. What brokenness is in need of a touch from Jesus? What brokenness? So that's Tabitha, that's Aeneas, that's other people. What about you? What, what area of brokenness is there right here? That could be like wisdom. Right now you're in a crippling spot and you need God to come and break through with wisdom. Your situation is broken and you need a, a miracle of wisdom to come and iron this out. It could be sin and you need God to heal the brokenness and the shrapnel from choices that are obviously wrong and now you see they're right and you need Jesus to step in. It could be emotional. Something happened to you when you were 7, 10, 12, when you're at college, and now you are still bound by it 20, 30, 40 years later, and it's defining you. What I'm saying is that Jesus can bring wholeness to every and anything. And so we want to agree that God would do that. And then, and then as well, it could be physical because healing has all sorts of forms and all sorts of ways. So what brokenness is the need to touch of Jesus?